It's good to be here to worship the Lord with you this morning. I saw some faces here this morning I wasn't expecting to see. Uh, and uh, that's good too. So what does a preacher preach about on the Sunday this close to Christmas? We already studied the Christmas story in the Sunday school lesson. But I have a question to start out with. And you can respond to this question. Why did Christ come? So it was a demonstration of God's love, okay? going to look at all of them this morning. Uh, in fact, a lot of what I have, if I go through all of these, uh, we won't be done until 12 o'clock, and I won't. Uh, but I have a good bit that is from others. I want to start off with a little story. A minister was working on his Christmas sermon one Christmas Eve trying to find something fresh to say when he was interrupted by somebody that watched over the boys at the home where he was. He worked at a home for children that were emotionally disturbed. Christmas Eve was a difficult time for this, these boys because a lot of them went home for the night or for Christmas Day, but a few of them had no family to go home to. Ones that were there remained. They react to the changed routine. They're, that bed's empty. That bed's empty. And there's a lot of things different. Preacher went upstairs and he wasn't very happy. He was interrupted again in his preparation for his message. There was a little boy that had crawled back under his bed as far as he could go. He refused to come out. He was back under the bed far enough that he couldn't be seen. Preacher stayed up there and talked to him, tried to convince him to come out, told him the pleasant things about the Christmas season and all the good things that were waiting for him only if he would come out from under the bed. Didn't get any reply. Still fretting because it was costing him valuable time in his preparation. 
he got down on his knees and lifted up the spread at the edge of the bed, he could see two big eyes back underneath the bed. Eight-year-old boy, about the size of a five-year-old, and he could have just reached in and pulled him out. But it wasn't pulling that that little boy needed. He needed trust. So this preacher crouched there on all fours, went through great lengths to describe excuse me, the special day, the special meal that they would have after their service tomorrow. But he was met with only silence. There wasn't any indication that the boy either heard or cared about Christmas. When he couldn't think of anything else to do, this preacher got down on his belly and slid back under the bed with that little boy. Snagged his coat on the way in. For what seemed like a long time, he lay there with his cheek pressed against the floor. At first, the preacher talked about the preparations for the day. He reminded the boy of the carols they would sing. And the other children were going to help sing. And he ran out of things to say and he just waited there lying on the floor. And as he waited, a small chilled hand reached out into his. You know, he said after a bit, it's kind of tight underneath the here. Let's go out where we can stand up. They did, slowly, in no hurry. Preacher forgot about his frustration about getting ready for tomorrow. For he already had his Christmas sermon now. Flattened there on the floor, he realized he had been given a new glimpse of the mystery of Christmas. God called to us from the universe from above, like he had there standing up above that bed calling out to this little boy. When we wouldn't listen, he drew closer. He spoke through prophets, lawgivers, holy men. He spoke to men face to face. But, at first Christmas, Christ slid under the bed with us. Christ, God, stooped down to earth and gave the very best of heaven that we can reach out and take hold of His hand that is stretched out to us. I don't remember where that came from. I didn't write it down. I should have. Christ, God sent Christ here to be with us. So why did Christ come? First one I want to look at is Christ came to give God's gift to us. God's gift to me. God's gift to you. That gift didn't come with a lot of fanfare. It didn't come with a lot of splendor. And we studied that in our Sunday school lesson this morning. The message was given to the shepherds out there on the hillside. Um, 
And I looked a little bit for a song, and I don't have it written down here, but it says, not as a sage did he send him, not as a king with a crown, but as a poor, helpless baby, God sent Jesus down for you and for me. Micah 5 verse 2 says this, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Jesus came to us. Jesus came to earth. Micah says he's from everlasting. Matthew 6, 2 verse 6 says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then the Christmas story that we looked at this morning. That message came to the shepherd. Mary wrapped him in those strips of cloth. He was laid in a cow trough in the hay. Now I guess, I mean that's the picture that I've gotten from it. The message went to the shepherds. The shepherds proclaimed it. And it says the people were amazed at their message. Christ is more than a babe in the manger. He lived a perfect example. He lived a perfect life. And we've heard about that already this morning. He taught with authority. And he backed it up with a life that was perfect. You know, we have people today that can give a powerful message. It's all the more powerful when you have a life that backs that message up. But it was more than his example. It was also his sacrifice. But it's even more than his sacrifice. It's his resurrection. It's his ascension. It's his intercession for us today. He's there interceding for you and I this morning. That's why Christ came. So that He can be God's gift to us even today. There's a song that goes through my mind every once in a while. It says, He left the splendors of heaven knowing His destiny was the lonely hill of Golgotha there to lay down His life for me. If that isn't love. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, The Lord has appeared of old to me saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. God says, I have extended my loving kindness to you. 
The next one is what Brother Philip brought out. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. That's why he came. John 4, verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's why Christ came. I want to read another little article here. The conclusion is unavoidable. Self-salvation simply does not work. Man has no way to save himself. I'm going to stop there just a little bit. That's our helpless situation outside of God. It's not just that we don't have a way to save ourselves. There's no way for us to save ourselves outside of that gift of God to us. Now continuing to read. But Paul announces that God has a way. Where man failed, God excels. Salvation comes from heaven downward, not from earth upward. Scripture says, The day spring from on high hath visited us. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Salvation is God-given, God-driven, God-empowered, and God-originated. We didn't invent how we obtained salvation. That came from God. The gift is not from man to God. It is from God to man. Grace is created by God and given to man. On the basis of this point alone, Christianity is set apart from any other religion in the world. Every other approach to God is a bartering system. If I do this, God will do that. Either I'm saved by works, what I do, by my emotions, what I experience, by my knowledge, that of what I know. That's the other. By contrast, Christianity has no whiff of negotiation at all. God, Man is not the negotiator. Indeed, man has no grounds from which to negotiate. We have no way to obtain our salvation outside of Christ who came to do the will of the Father. It's the only way we can experience salvation today or any other day. John 5, verse 19, And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He seeth the Father do. Let me read that again. Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. Verse 30 of John 5, I can of Myself do nothing. Christ speaking, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. 
John 6. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I shall lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus came to do the Father's will. The only way we can live in expectation of eternity is to do the will of God. Luke twenty-two forty-two. Jesus, in his experience in the garden, demonstrated his um, carrying out of the Father's will Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Jesus went to the cross, fulfilling the reason he came, to do the Father's will. John 17 says this. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus said, I came to do the Father's will. And when he came to the end of his life, he said, I have finished the work you sent me to do. On the cross, he said, it is finished. It wasn't a message of defeat. I think that was a message of victory. I've finished what I came to do, what the Father sent me to do. You all probably heard this writing before. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did any of the things that usually accompany greatness. I'm going to stop there just a little bit. You know, today a lot of those things seem mighty important to a lot of people. To have a home, have a family, get an education, travel, do a lot of other things. Jesus never did any of those things. 
He had no credentials but himself. While he was still a young man, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth. And that was his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the kindness of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is still the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. It is far within the mark to say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, and all the kings that, were ever, that have ever reigned, all put together, have not affected the life of man upon this earth as much as that one solitary life. A lot of times when I clip something out of the local paper, I put a date on it, and I failed to put a date on this next thing that I want to read. But it was in the Daily News Record on the editorial page quite a few years ago. The writer says this, I recently went to a school Christmas program at a local elementary school. I want to first of all say that the program was very well done, and the children were excited about what they were doing. I appreciate all the work that was put into the program by teachers and those who helped. I have just a few things that I, from my heart, would like to bring out. I know that we live in a day when schools think they have to be careful how things are presented, especially when they have to do with religion, so to speak. Folks, without Jesus... There is no Christmas. It is hard to have a Christmas program about the one that Christmas represents without ever mentioning his name. That is exactly what happened at this program. No traditional Jesus-mentioned carols were sung. Everything had to do with the usual distractions, which I believe we all know and do not need to mention. Children need to know that Christmas is the birth of Jesus and why he came into the sinful world. Apart from this, it is just the other stuff. These children at John Whalen Elementary School lost a classmate this past summer, and it would be interesting to ask the boy's mother what had been her comfort to help her through this most difficult time. Jesus means Savior, and Christmas is the time to shout this loud from the housetops. The message has not been heard by all, and we need to continually proclaim it until Jesus comes to take us home. Like I said, I could go back and look. I don't remember which daily news record that was in, but that was in the daily news record here a few years ago. Henry Van Dyke wrote this next one, and it's titled Keeping Christmas. It is a good thing to observe Christmas Day. 
the mere marking of times and seasons when men agree to stop work and make merry together is a wise and wholesome custom. It helps one to feel the supremacy of the common life over the individual life. It reminds a man to set his own little watch now and then by the great clock of humanity which runs on sun time. But there is a better thing than the observance of Christmas Day, and that is keeping Christmas. Are you willing to forget what you have done for other people and to remember what other people have done for you? To ignore what the world owes you and to think what we owe the world? To put your rights in the background and your duties in the middle distance and your chances to do a little more than your duty in the foreground? To see that your fellow men are just as real as you are and try to look behind their faces to their hearts hungry for joy? To own that probably the only good reason for your existence is that is not what you are going to get out of life, but what you are going to give to life. To close the book of complaints against the management of the universe and look around you for a place where you can sow a few seeds of happiness? Are you willing to do this even for a day? Then you can keep Christmas. Are you willing to stoop down and consider the needs and desires of little children? To remember the weakness and loneliness of people who are growing old? To stop asking how much your friends love you and ask yourself whether you love them enough? To bear in mind the things that other people have to bear in their hearts? To try to understand what those who live in the same house with you really want without waiting for them to tell you? To trim your lamp so that it will give more light and less smoke. And to carry it in front so that your shadow will fall behind you. To make a grave for your ugly thoughts and a garden for your kindly feelings with the gate open. Are you willing to do these things even for a day? Then you can keep Christmas. Are you willing to believe that love is the strongest thing in the world? I might would take issue with that one, but that's a very strong thing in the world. Stronger than hate, stronger than evil, stronger than death, and that the blessed life which began in Bethlehem 1900 years ago is the image and brightness of the eternal love, then you can keep Christmas. And if you can keep it for a day, why not always? Or why not every day? Well, I had another one here I wanted to look at and I can't find it. Harlan Miller wrote this one and he said this a bit facetiously or jokingly. What he wished it might be, that he wished it might be possible to put some of the Christmas spirit in jars and then open a jar of it every month or so. I devoutly wish that the world would cease to sentimentalize Christ as little more than a beautiful legend 
and do some careful listening and straight thinking about what he has to say and about what he has done. Christ is not a sentiment to be enjoyed one day out of the year and completely crowded out of everyday living. He is the one and only Savior, God's own Son, to be embraced by faith and to be observed with mind and heart and will every day of our lives. I want to close with a, another song, words of another song. This is my daily prayer. God bless you. Go with God. Hold fast his mighty hand throughout the day. His grace your heart sustain. His power relieve your pain. Your prayer be not in vain as you travel his way. In spite of all the lies that some may hurl, Christ is the only hope of all the world. God bless you. Go with God through all eternity. My prayer will always be, may you go with God. Turn the time back to local ministry.